0: You're a parent. You're a Christian. Does that automatically mean that your parenting is Christian parenting? I'm saying no, it doesn't. But I'm also saying that I believe you want your parenting to be first and foremost Christian parenting. So in this episode, I'll lay out what Christian parenting really is and how you can do it easily and effectively starting today. You're listening to Divine Connections, a podcast about connecting the truth you believe to the life you really live. I'm your host, Kelly J. Grace, and you're listening to Episode 6, What Makes Christian Parenting Christian? Now, There are millions of good parents who show up every day, 24 7, 365 days a year, year after year after year. They show up to do the often, well, mundane and honestly sometimes frustrating work of being a good parent. But this is not a podcast episode about good parenting. It's an episode, actually, a life lesson. About Christian parenting. And there is a very big and very important distinction between those two. So maybe it's easiest if we start with a question Are you raising a prodigal or even more heartbreaking, a non believer? Well, that's not what any of us as Christians set out to do. We don't start out with that as our intention. But if we parent without a clear intention and a strategic plan, I'm sorry, but that can easily happen. So there's one very distinct goal in Christian parenting. If you don't know what that goal is, then what are the chances that you're actually going to achieve it? I want to share with you today the kind of the backstory behind this life lesson that I'm sharing about Christian parenting. And unlike most of the other life lessons in this series, this one came to me through my ministry of teaching about Christian family life. Now, if I could show you a photo that I have on my desktop, you'd see a young African mother. She's got a baby on her hip and also a little girl clinging to her skirts. Now, her name is Gladys, and she's standing up during a question and answer time at the end of a two-day women's conference in Ghana, West Africa. And her question to me was this, is there still hope for my two sons? Now, tears are streaming down her cheeks, and her question broke my heart. The older son was nine years old and the younger one five. And Gladys's husband is not a Christian. Her older son had noticed that his father didn't attend church or ever pray or read a Bible. So he really didn't want to do those things either. I mean, he wanted to be like his father. And that's understandable. But on Sunday mornings, He had begun to awaken as the sun came up and wake up his younger brother, the five year old, and they would both run away from the house so they wouldn't have to go to church with their mother. Because real men, men like their father, don't go to church. Now I heard a similar story to this to Gladys' story from the grandmother of twin boys when I spoke at another church clear on the other side of Ghana. And in fact, everywhere I visited, Christian mothers who were married to non-Christians were very fearful of losing, in particular, their sons to a life without God. And, you know, that stayed with me through the rest of that ministry trip there in Ghana, but it also haunted me And I then, shortly after we returned home to the States, I don't even know how I came across it, but I came across a study from the Pew Research Group, and it said that 82 to 88 percent of kids raised in church-going Christian homes here in the States were leaving the faith in droves. That's 82 to 88 percent. That means we have, at best, um, you know, a a 12 to 16% margin of kids excuse me 18 to percent margin of kids who remain in the faith but that's by far the the largest percentage of them when they turn 18 and they go away to college or they move out to take a job they stop going to church and most of them when questioned reported that they would likely never return now I think it's obvious that we as a whole, and I'm not talking about you in particular, but we as a whole, as Christians in the Western world, we have not done an effective job of passing on our faith to our kids or of leading them into a genuine, enduring friendship with God. The truth, the honest truth is that sadly, most of our kids grow up disconnected from God. We can't say of them, as was said of Abraham, that they are a friend of God or of David, that they're a man after God's own heart or a young woman after God's own heart. So my question is, how are we going to turn this around? Now, I believe in grace. I absolutely believe in the power of God. I believe in the working of the Holy Spirit in the lives of our kids. But you and I have a crucial role to play in our children's spiritual lives. And God has commanded us to fulfill that role, to do it. And you know, in working with families at church who are in the middle of raising young kids, Oh man, I see the hopefulness that they have about their children's spiritual life. But I also notice that their apprehension about those kids starts to grow as those kids begin to outgrow Sunday school and VBS, Vacation Bible School. The question is in their mind will their young kids transition? into the teen years or into young adult years, still wanting a relationship with God, still wanting and seeing a friendship with God as something they value. Now, I've said before, parenting is a big job made up of a million little jobs. I mean, think about it. Day in and day out, you're trying to teach character and habits and values, and you're trying to impart whatever wisdom you can, all the while overseeing the sibling squabbles or household chores and homework. And your days are filled from morning till night. And just the thought of cramming one more thing in is like absolutely overwhelming. That is the straw that broke the camel's back. I get it. I get it. But here's the thing. And though I sympathize with and can often feel your parental stress, there's a hard truth that you have to face. And it's this you have a brief but wide open window of opportunity with your young children. I'm gonna say that again. You have a brief but wide open window of opportunity with your young children. And I want to do anything and everything I can to help you capitalize on that opportunity, to maximize that window that you have of really reaching these kids. So, I want to define Christian parenting for you. Because, as I said, there are millions and millions of good parents. I'm talking about people who supply their children's spiritual and emotional needs, their social needs, they're all over making sure that they do their homework that they're good little kids in school or in the neighborhood in their interactions with friends these parents are on it they're handling that but that is not the heart of christian parenting okay and i'm just going to inject something in here and you know some of you may not like this some of you maybe even haven't thought of this ever before but um i watched in the 80s psychology, secular psychology, as practiced by Christians, but their degree, of course, is in psychology. They began to bring some of those techniques into the church and into, in particular, the realm of parenting. And some of it's based on just good old-fashioned behavior modification, you know, where you, through what we call carrots and sticks, you encourage a certain type of behavior by rewarding one thing and punishing another. Now, all of that aside, that is not the heart of what Christian parenting is all about. So many, many, many of the books that are written about parenting really are designed to help parenting be easier for the parent and help you get the outcome you want with a child. But sadly, there are very, very few that actually address what is at the heart of God's commands to us as parents. I mean, God expects that you're going to love your kids, you're going to feed them, you're going to clothe them, you're going to discipline them, you're going to require compliance with whatever rules you have in your own home and whatever kind of conduct you find acceptable from that child. And hopefully all of that is based on your own Christian values. But what is at the heart of actual Christian parenting? What puts the Christian in Christian parenting? I I've tried to distill this down and I'm going to share with you I think the the absolute proof text in scripture for what Christian parenting is all about. You know, we find basic principles throughout the New Testament uh, especially say Ephesians 6 4, where Paul tells fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Well, nurture means to feed and to tend to their spiritual development. Admonition refers to instructing their minds. And so those things are basic to us as believers. But in the book of Deuteronomy, I think we have a blueprint for Christian parenting. Now, We're just six episodes into this podcast, and I think I've referred to blueprints at least three times. And why is that? Well, because when we find in Scripture a blueprint, especially for some important relationship such as marriage or some essential responsibility like parenting, I think you and I need to highlight those in our Bibles and in our minds for easy and frequent reference. So God has given a plan with enough specific detail for us to follow it and implement his plan. That's a blueprint. Anytime you find some passage of scripture where God has given you a plan, there is a step-by-step kind of progression through it. And it's got enough specific detail for you to be able to implement that plan in your own life. That's a blueprint. So here is the blueprint for Christian parenting that we find in Deuteronomy 6, 4-9. to And it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, this passage is part of what is known as the Shema, the Jewish confession or profession of faith. And it opens with a declaration that God is one and that man is to love his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, what I love about that is, if you notice, it's personal. This is his God or her God. It's relationship. There's a belonging to or an ownership, really, of God as my own. This is my God. This is your God. This is our God. And now is the part that pertains to Christian parenting. This is how people who believe in the true and living God, and in particular us as Christians who've come to know the full expression of God's plan through Jesus Christ for our redemption, our salvation, our eternal life— here is how we are to raise our children. And it starts in verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall diligently teach them to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates now i'm not going to go in depth into verses 8 and 9 what they really talk about though is our outward facing life you know on our hands on the way we conduct ourselves the way we work and so forth their god's laws are built into that and on the between the frontlets of our eyes that's the part of our brain that actually thinks and processes god's word is to percolate all these words from god are to be in there this is that romans 12 uh, 2 the renewing of our mind that we now are able to have the mind of christ because god has told us what he thinks and we're to adopt that that's where we get our value system the one that we're going to pass on to our children so it starts in the way we live in the world, the way we think in our minds, and then again, how we are around our neighbors and the people who see us and interact with us in the world. Now, just as God did with marriage, he's summing up in just a few sentences our responsibility for passing along spiritual knowledge to our kids and um you know, I read years ago Edith Schaefer's book, What is a Family? And in that, every chapter is an answer to that question, what is a family? And one chapter she titles The Baton of Truth. And it has to do with that image of a relay race, where which I ran in high school track. I ran a relay race where you start running and you have a baton in your hand and another runner comes along behind you. And you two get in sync, and the the idea is you're going to pass that baton along to them without dropping it. And that is the image that Edith Schaefer portrays here. A family, a Christian family, is in essence a relay race where you are passing on the baton of truth that God has given to you to your children. And the first and most important element of that is who God is, what he is like, and the value, the overwhelming value of a true and enduring friendship with him. That's what you and I are trying to do in Christian parenting. So look at the words. Excuse me. It says, I command you this day. Okay. This is not a suggestion. This isn't like a good option should you choose it. This is a command which means you and I are responsible to God to do this thing. Now, if you've listened to episode two of this podcast, you heard me share a little of the backstory of being backslidden for several years and then hearing God speak to me one afternoon when I was planning what I was going to do on Monday during my workday out of the blue, literally, I heard the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And he said to me, Kelly, you have three kids and two of them don't even know my name. That was a wake-up call from God. That was a warning that I was squandering, squandering that window of opportunity with those young children. Now, maybe you can hear... you know, I get juiced about this, all right? This is important stuff. This is the most important thing you will do in parenting your children. I mean, again, God presumes you're going to feed them and take care of them. You're not going to abuse or neglect them. But outside of that, which even the heathen, even the heathen do with their children, God has commanded you and I to do this thing to pass along this precious knowledge. The New Testament says you and I have this treasure in earthen vessels. We know the knowledge of how to have a relationship with God. We know who he is and what he's like and what he's done. And God is saying the very essence of Christian parenting is that you faithfully, effectively, diligently communicate this to your children. So this teaching to our kids is not optional, and we are to do it diligently. And I, years ago, looked up in Webster's Dictionary what diligently means, and it says it's characterized by steady, earnest, energetic effort. Also, it's painstaking. We take pains to do this right. Okay? That's what diligently means. So just in case you don't think that God gets how challenging the job of parenting can be, I want you to notice something inside this passage here in Deuteronomy. God gives you options. Do you you remember those, um, I think they were called choose-your-own-adventure books that you could get with your kids? Well, This has a choose-your-own option so that you can fit this into absolutely any family's daily life. And, you know, it fits into modern life, too. I want you to look at verse 7. It says we are to talk about God's truth, his word, when we stay at home, when we commute to school or run errands, when we're going to bed, and when we get up in the morning. Now, I call these four options hang time, drive time, bedtime, and rise and shine. And the beauty of this is you get to choose what fits in your day on, say, Tuesday. Now, maybe bedtime works best on Tuesday. But on Saturday, you know that the kids are going to be staying up later and bedtime's going to find them kind of cranky and frankly, just not into it, okay? But here's the thing. Saturday morning, driving to soccer practice, you took some time to notice and point out to the kids that there in the park, squirrels and birds were eating. They were feasting on what God had provided. So thinking about Saturday morning and the fact that you'd be driving in the car with the kids, you thought, hmm, what could I, what's our root going to be, and how might I spark a conversation about God? How am I going to fit that in on a busy Saturday? Well, maybe you looked up Psalm 104, verses 24 to 28, and you talked about it in the car. And maybe you even recorded it on your phone so you could play it back on the drive for your kids to listen to, and then you'd all talk about it. And that passage says this, Lord, you have made many things. With your wisdom, you made it all. The earth is absolutely full of your riches. Look at the sea, so big and wide. Its creatures, large and small, cannot be counted. Ships travel over the ocean, and there is the great sea monster Leviathan, which you made to play there. All these things depend on you to give them their food at the right time, and when you give it to them, they gather it up, and when you open your hand, they are filled with good food. And there are the squirrels in the park picking up nuts from the tree, and there are birds pulling worms out of the ground or gathering seeds from bushes nearby or berries, God has opened his hand and fed them with good food. Maybe you took your kids to an aquarium, or maybe you took them whale watching, and they saw like a humpback whale, you know, breaching and heard the calls. I mean, kids love this kind of stuff. So you've highlighted to your young kids that God is the creator and he's the provider. And then you can ask things like, well, what's your favorite creature that God has made? Or which creature eats the yuckiest food? I mean, kids love that kind of discussion, right? Which creature is the fattest? Which one is the slimiest? Which one has the most legs? Which one has a totally weird head? Which one lives in some weird place? Um you you could go on and on and on with this. And if you've never watched the Planet Earth series, oh my goodness, you've got to get those for your kids. Because it opens their minds to all the variety, the amazing, incredible, creative variety that God made, both in the creatures he made, in the places they live, and the things that they eat and do. So, you know, look at all of that. But as you talk about this You're talking about the fact that God made them too, and he made yummy foods for them to enjoy. And now you're going to flip that, and you're going to look at what kinds of kids God made. I mean, some of them have super curly hair. Some of them have really straight hair. Some of them have eyes that are shaped differently from maybe your kids. You're going to bring up the variety and the abundance that characterizes God's creation. And you're going to talk about the fact that God made all of it, and in every one of us as humans, he made ways for us to enjoy everything that he gave us in the earth. I mean, do your kids enjoy the taste of a strawberry or the sweetness of honey? Do your kids enjoy stroking the fur on a puppy dog or a kitty cat or having a cat with their really scratchy tongue lick their hand or their cheek? When you do these things, you're connecting the world that God made to God in your children's eyes. You're laying a fa- excuse me, a foundation, as the Bible says. I love that passage where it says, "Precept upon precept, line upon line. Here a little and there a little. And you know, throughout the early years of your child's life, you introduce them. To the Creator, here a little and there a little, line upon line, right? Little bit by little bit, you let them know that God made everything, and that every good gift and every perfect gift was given for them to richly enjoy. The truth is, when we do this, we give God his due place and due credit for every blessing. That we enjoy and that your child enjoys. You're, again, you're pointing your kids back to the source of all this blessing in your life. You are awakening in their hearts the idea that God made something and gave it to them. He wants a relationship with them. And of course, they're going to want a relationship with Him. So you talk constantly of God's love, of His care. His protection, his provision, his goodness, his wonderful plans, and of everything he's made on earth and in heaven. I want you to think of it this way You are the master of ceremonies who introduces God. Now, there was a period in my life when I was the master of ceremonies, so to speak, for some large conferences for Christian women, for pastors' wives in particular. And so my job was to introduce each speaker. So I had to know something about them, and especially something that would connect them to that audience of women who were going to hear them speak. My job was to to set up a, um, a good receptive atmosphere for the speaker so that she didn't have to come out there kind of cold turkey and present herself, Someone else was speaking on her behalf. That's your job in these early years with your child. You're the master of ceremonies. So, what good things can you say to your children about God? I mean, think about it this way like in present day, in our experience, let's say that um, you're watching Jimmy Fallon on late night. I mean, maybe you're up for some reason at that point, and you're watching Jimmy Fallon and Kelly Clarkson. Is going to come on as a guest. Or maybe, um, or maybe you're watching Kelly Clarkson's show. She now has a show as well, or Ellen DeGeneres, some host of a show. I want you to think about what do they share with the audience about their guest? They share all the great stuff about the guest, whatever they've done, how totally cool they are, how creative, or maybe it's a powerful person or it's a, a person who's noted for their kindness or some other kind of proficiency that they have or maybe that's a great philanthropist someone noted for how much they've given those are the kinds of things that the master of ceremonies is going to say about the guest well let me ask you does god deserve any less of a stellar introduction than somebody who's going on a tv show i mean i don't think so I want you as an exercise, this is your homework. Do you love a podcast with homework for you? <laughs> like you didn't have enough to do. But next time you make a cup of coffee or tea or you sit out, you know, in your backyard or you're sitting at the park while the kids play, take a little notebook and I want you to just start making some notes as you think about God of how you can introduce him to your kids. Don't let the world or their school, or their friends, or anyone else, be first to seed their mind and their imagination with thoughts of God. You get there first. You get there, and you claim that fertile, pure soil, and you seed it with the glorious truth of who God is and what he's like, how he loves, and what he's done, what he made, and what he gave, and all of his plans for the future. This is our job as master of ceremonies to give God the introduction he deserves. And now the second thing that you and I are is we are like that big yellow highlighter. I'm a big fan of two things, post-it notes and highlighters. (laughs) My office is filled with them. I use the highlighter over and over again in any book that I read to highlight Anything I want to come back to, some maybe some amazing statement about something. Well, I want you to think of yourself as the big yellow highlighter pointing out all the amazing things that God has done and is doing, and you give him the glory, do his name. You point out to your children and you point your children to his wonders and his power. You're calling them, you're beckoning them into his love, and then you introduce them to him as your own God, your Savior, and your friend. So I want you to look back at Deuteronomy 6. This is chap- This is verses 20 to 25. It says, When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of these testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all of his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all of this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Now, how does this apply to us? as christian parents i want you to learn how to tell your children your own god stories this is exactly what god commanded the children of israel now something they've done has provoked that curiosity about god remember it says when your son comes and asks you well what's the meaning of all of this as you begin to lay that foundation your children will have a spiritual curiosity and you're not alone in this. I'm going to say as I've said to wives in their marriage relationships, you're not alone. The Holy Spirit is working in this with you. He wants your marriage to honor God. He wants you to be blessed in it. And the same holds true with your kids. God gave you these kids and I'm assuring you you are the perfect person. You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher. You don't have to be the one who leads VBS. You don't have to have had family devotions before. You don't have to have been raised in a Christian home. You don't have to have gone to a Christian college or university. All you need is to think back in honesty about your own life and discover your own God stories. How has God shown up in your life? Did you have godly parents did you have that fabulous heritage and legacy of godly parents who taught you from an early age and got you interested by the way they lived and what they taught you in a relationship with the true and living god then give god the thanks for that and you're going to portray that to your children by saying look i'm i was like a little samuel a little boy whose mother absolutely dedicated me to god and um, they gave me a godly heritage, and then read Samuel's story to your kids. Or maybe you're the absolute opposite of that, and God rescued you when you were out there wandering in the wilderness, or He came and He healed you when you were lame. Maybe you had wrecked your own life. Remember, I said you took the wheels of the of your own life, and the steering wheel into your hands, and drove it into the ditch, and there. God came and met you. Learn how to tell your God stories and make God the hero. I promise you, your children will remember it always. It plants that seed in their mind that God is at work in you and in them all throughout their lives, even as young children. I mean, you can relate to them the stories of Miriam, who watched her little brother, baby Moses, in a basket and then was bold enough to go and speak to Pharaoh's daughter. Or maybe Naaman, the Syrian who had leprosy, and the little slave girl who had been captured and taken and was working in his household, said to her mistress, oh, that he would go to Israel where the prophet is and get healed that little girl had no reason to wish that man and his wife well, but she did. And she told the truth about the God of Israel and shared that with them. Maybe you have a son, and he would love to hear about the little boy who had five loaves and two fish, and Jesus took them and blessed them and fed thousands. I mean, there are so many stories in the scripture that can help us bring to life in our children's minds and imaginations the idea and the truth, the truth that they're never too young to have a relationship with the true and living God and that he wants to be their friend. So Christian parenting has one objective. It's to introduce God to your child in such a way that their young heart is drawn to him and to his love, to his wonder and his power. Jesus said in Matthew 19 14, Let the little children come to me, and don't hinder them, for of such is the kingdom of God. If you do your part, I promise you God will do his part. So pick a time from the, the blueprint that I talked to you about in Deuteronomy, pick a topic like animals in the Bible. Kids in Bible stories, or how Jesus was born in a barn. I mean, at this time that I'm recording this, we're coming into the season when Christmas will come. Let's capture that time. Let's make that a truly teachable moment. God will inspire you. He'll instruct you on how to tell His story and to help your kids develop a friendship with the most fascinating, powerful loving God imaginable. I want you to start small. I want you to start today. I just want you to start. Now, I want to recommend a great book to you. Um, I don't even know how I came across this. And it's called Dad Tired and Loving It by Jared Lopez. So you can check out his podcast also. I think it's called Dad Tired. But here's a takeaway quote for today's episode from a a chapter that he entitles Football Jerseys. He writes, one of my biggest dad fears is that I'm wearing the Jesus jersey, but I'm running toward the wrong end zone with my kids. (laughs) Then he tells the story of a ministry trip in Serbia and a lesson he learned on an afternoon. You know, he'd been um, shown around the town by a whole group of people, and uh, pastors and their wives in particular, and he had stopped and purchased candy bars and refreshments for all of them. And as they were walking around, one woman came and offered him some of the candy bar that he had just purchased and given to her. And he declined it, but she kept insisting. And at one point, she kind of teared up and she said to him, Jared. In our country, we never enjoy good things alone. I insist that you enjoy this with me. Now, he goes on to say, I often think back to that story as I try to raise my children to become passionate followers of Jesus. Sometimes I think I casually offer them a little piece of Jesus to take or leave. We do go to church on Sundays. We pray around the dinner table. And we talk about his word from time to time, but it's almost as if I'm kind of subconsciously saying, you want some of this? Nope. Oh, okay. (laughs) No problem. I won't keep bothering to ask you. Now, he decided it's not optional after all. He says, I want to love Jesus with everything I have and insist that my children join me in enjoying the adventure of following him together. Now, that's clarity of intention, and it's empowering, and it's worthwhile. Heavenly Father, our great and awesome God, we ask that you give us words to speak to our young children. Help us to capture their hearts for you, to awaken them to you. Make us effective and let our love for you be infectious to our children. We confess we don't feel confident. We don't feel able. But we do trust that you will bless every single attempt that we make. These children are yours and we acknowledge that you have, you've just loaned them to us you've put them in our charge for a very short time and we do not want to fail them or you so God help us do this well we ask that you would be glorified in our life and in our children's lives we ask it in Jesus name Amen well I'm on Instagram at Kelly J. Grace, And I write about faith and marriage and Christian parenting at kellyjgrace.com. So I would love to hear from those of you who've downloaded one of those free resources at my website and just drop a little comment in Instagram and let me know your thoughts. Now, what's coming up? Is there a sin that you can't seem to kick to the curb? Well, next time I'm sharing how to quit any sin. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you then.